Well, welcome back, uh, everyone. It's good to uh, see you here. Thanks for coming even after Easter. Uh, that's a really, that's awesome of you guys to show up. Um, I don't know about you guys, uh, but this year particularly, um, I watch a little bit more March Madness than I normally do. Uh, in fact, I caught a, a handful of games, which normally just comes and goes. I've never filled out a bracket. It's never been something that's interested me uh, nearly as much. Uh, I think growing up in the 90s, uh, and watching the NBA, those super teams, uh, I think I was just a lot more interested in those. And so college ball never uh, held my interest nearly as much because I didn't know the players. They'd rotate uh, every year, so I wasn't as interested in them. However, seeing the level of competition uh, and seeing you know, just how hard uh, these guys are working to compete uh, and to win is captivating, actually. Uh, seeing the competition, seeing the skill, seeing the school spirit, the fans, is just an amazing, uh, an amazing scenario. And it's really fun to watch, and I'm already looking forward to next year and paying a little bit more uh, attention. And, you know, I was watching this clip uh, of one of the coaches in the Final Four uh, who had lost, and so he wasn't able to go to the finals. Um, and he was, you know, handling the press with grace when they were in the back uh, asking him how he felt, you know, because it was here in Minneapolis. Uh, and they're asking him, you know, how he felt, how he's going to give his uh, kids a pep talk. Uh, and he said something along the lines, well, they've worked really hard, uh, and I'm just going to go in there, and, and we're going to talk about uh, the, the small victories that we've had up until now and, and just really praise them for how much that they've done. But he was also, in a way, said, you know, he's going to have to be conciliatory, that he's going to have to grieve with his kids to a specific degree. You see, they worked so long and so hard for victory. They'd been built up. They believed in themselves. You know, to be able to get to that level of competition, you have to be able to shred certain levels of skepticism to have the necessary winning attitude. And so these guys who are in that locker room, they knew that they were going to win. They were supposed to win. And because they believed it, because they were so close, the loss is especially devastating. Now for us, on the other side, on the other side of the TV screen, yeah, sure, fine, maybe some of our brackets were broken. You know, uh, maybe some of us lost a friendly bet, even, had to buy someone else dinner, for example. Uh, you know, we got to have a few exciting couple of hours to watch the game, certainly. And it was nice to see the fans be excited in, in, uh, in the crowds and for us to be excited. But ultimately, their loss on the basketball court, their loss ultimately had very little effect on me. Right? Once they were done and over and in their locker room grieving this loss, I simply flipped the channel and watched something else. It was pretty exciting, then I just flipped the channel. I'm not a part of that program. I'm not a follower of their team. I'm really hardly a fan because I only tuned in because of the excitement, and I'm certainly far from a disciple of that franchise. Now this week, believe it or not, we are continuing on in our hashtag Jesus series. You know, it would make a, 
make a lot of sense to end on Easter, you know, with the resurrection, but the truth is Jesus still has a lot more to do. Jesus wasn't done. In fact, in the beginning of Acts, after the Gospels as we know them, we find that Jesus was around for 40 more days after his torture, after his death, after his resurrection. He's up for 40 more days still. And it kind of have this question, why? Why did he hang out? I mean, the job's done, right? Check it off. He hung on the cross. He waited three days and he rose again. Job's done. Mission complete. It's over. Why did he hang out? Well, the truth is that even though Jesus had hung on the cross and risen from the grave and just stole the powers of death away, he still had a lot more to do. Because the truth is, if you look at, if you look at the state of things, if you look at the state of his followers after he was gone, you could clearly and easily tell they were not ready to start the church. They weren't ready, right? After he was gone, they weren't ready. In fact, after his capture, his trial and execution, the truth is they hid. They were scared. In John chapter 20, verse 19, it says there, uh, it says there, on that evening of the first day of the week when the disciples were together, with the, they were together with the doors locked for the fear of Jewish leaders. They were afraid that they were coming for them too. They were scared. They were afraid that they were going to be dragged out from where they were hiding, put on the same fake trial, and executed just, along, just the same alongside their Savior. They were scared. Why did they run? Why were they scared? Because everything was riding on Jesus. They were scared because everything, everything they had, everything that they were planning to do, it was all riding on Jesus. They thought that Jesus was going to be the next thing here on earth. And why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't they think that Jesus was the stuff, the, the guy who's coming next? Why wouldn't they think that? If you look at Israelite history, this is simply it repeating itself as it does for thousands of years. Israelites would worship God, then they'd start to lose sight of God, uh, and then they would start worshiping idols, uh, then God would allow their disobedience to lead to foreign occupation and to slavery, okay? And then they would see the error of their ways and God would send a prophet or a judge to lead them out of that slavery or occupation. Why shouldn't the disciples have thought any different? They were in occupation just the same, just like the dozens of times that they had been in Israelite history. The Romans were now there. Why wouldn't they have thought that Jesus was the prophet, that he was the judge to come and kick them out of town so that they could be back on top as this Israelite nation? Why wouldn't they have thought that? I mean, they're familiar with that story except for the part where Jesus was captured and executed. That's a little bit of a deviation from the history that they knew. They're like, they're pulling their hair out. What? <laughs> it was him. He was the one. He was the Messiah. We thought that he was going to kick these Romans out. And he's gone? It really put their plan <laughs> down, down the shooter. They, it did not work at all the way that they anticipated 
they so wholly believed in that pattern of Israelite history that even when Jesus tried to tell them that he was going to leave, that he would have to die, they were so used to that Israelite pattern that they didn't even believe him. They're saying, no, Jesus, you're saying it wrong. That's not how history goes. You're supposed to save us. So you're mistaken. You're not going anywhere. In fact, we're right here behind you. They were so mistaken. The apostles, as was, after Jesus' death and resurrection, as they were, they were not ready to begin the church. Jesus stuck around for 40 more days offering two things, inspiration and hope. Inspiration, because he did, he did exactly what he said he was going to do. You see, before his death, he told people that they could expect him to do this crazy thing. He said this, he was going to destroy the temple and raise it again in three days. He was going to destroy a temple and raise it in three days. In John chapter 2, there's an account of Jesus telling this to the Jewish people there in the temple, and they're telling Jesus, wait, what? You're going to destroy it? You're going to destroy it in, in three, uh, destroy it and rebuild it in three days? And again, in 18 verse, uh, John chapter 2, verse 18 through 20, the Jews then responded to him. This was after Jesus had flipped tables, and he was in the temple, and he'd seen uh, what they had done to his father's house. And he was really upset, flipped tables, and told him to get out. He had fashioned a whip and kicked them out. And so they responded to him after seeing this scene that Jesus had caused. What sign can you show us to prove your authority to do this? Who are you to kick us out? You're no high priest. Who are you to kick us out? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, uh, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it in three days? After he was raised from the dead, or oh, I skipped ahead. It taken 46 years to build it, and Jesus is saying, okay, well, I'm going to destroy it, and in three days' time, I will rebuild it. You see, the temple was a representative of God's presence it's where atoning sacrifices were made by priests, the high priests. It's where the Holy of Holies was. It's where God dwelled. Jesus, in his death and resurrection, he did this. He both destroyed the need of that temple. He tore the curtain that separated men from God in half, from top to bottom, and he raised up in himself a new and eternal path to God, a new temple. He did exactly what he said he was going to do. Again, in 2.22, after he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. They're remembering later what Jesus had said. It only made sense after he fulfilled his own prophecy. Then they believed the scriptures and the words that Jesus had spoken. He had done it. He did tear that thing down, and he rebuilt it in himself. The disciples made the realization of Jesus' sign after his res resurrection. He did what he set out to do. He inspired by showing them that he was exactly what he said he would be. This inspiration would soon prove invaluable in the disciples' mission to spread the gospel. 
They needed that inspiration. They needed to know that Jesus was exactly who he said he was. Also in those 40 days, Jesus offered hope. In John 21, we find this very special chapter about a post-resurrection Jesus. A few of his disciples uh, are fishing. This is after Peter, John, Thomas, Nathaniel, and a few others. They're, they're fishing all night, and they catch nothing. Then, at dawn, a voice calls out from the beach, asking if they'd caught anything, and they reply, no. The voice then instructs them to cast on the other side of the boat, where the hall was so big that they couldn't haul it in. This actually happened once before. It's just kind of, to me, I think it's just this really special moment because it's kind of a bookend towards the end. Because this happened before. When the disciples had one time in Jesus' ministries, there was a time when his disciples were fishing and they caught nothing. And Jesus asks them, why don't you try one more time? And they reply, Jesus, we've been, man, we've been trying all day long. We, it's not working. Jesus says, once more, please. And of course, they go out and they catch a haul that's so big, it almost tears the nets. And so there's this really cool hearkening back to an earlier moment in their ministry because they didn't know who was yelling from the beach. And he says, why don't you guys try the other side? And when they caught a haul that was too big for them, I think it served as a reminder because it was then that they realized it was Jesus. They, they rushed to the shore they quickly made their way to Jesus where he was preparing breakfast for them. For fun, I, you can tuck this away, I don't know. For fun, it seems apparently that the resurrected body still needs to eat. You can tuck that one away. Do with it what you will, but interesting to me. Uh, in verse 15 of John 21, we'll read on to 19. When they had finished eating after this breakfast that Jesus has made, this time on this beach, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord. You know that I love you, Jesus said. I'll take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now, Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus, Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands in a cross-like fashion and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Jesus, is, Jesus offers Peter hope in this story. He offers Peter hope by reinstating him. See, remember earlier during Jesus' trial, Remember that Peter had denied Jesus how many times? He denied him three times. 
Jesus asks him three times, do you love me, to strike away each one of those earlier denials. Peter would go on to be a foundational character of the beginning of the church as we know it. Jesus offers Peter hope because Peter had been robbed of speaking up and speaking to and attesting to who Jesus was when he was asked earlier. And Jesus redeems him. He offers him this reinstatement and gives him hope. But Jesus doesn't only offer hope and inspiration to his disciples. It's not only for them. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul writes a quick synopsis of Jesus' post-resurrection appearances. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, verse 3 through 8. For what I received, I passed on to you as of import, uh, first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised, and on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that is Peter, it's another name for Peter, and then to the twelve, and after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at that same time. He appeared to over 500 people in that time, most of whom are still living at the time that Paul is writing this, though some of them have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James. Now this is James, uh, as in Jesus' half-brother, who actually didn't become a believer until after the resurrection. Then he appeared to James, and there's actually no recording of when he met with James. He appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, Paul, as to one abnormally born. Paul is referencing his abnormal uh, birth uh, as being one who actually never physically met Jesus uh, as a man. Jesus appeared to many witnesses and he did a lot of work after the cross. The disciples needed it because, because they were quite lost without him. Jesus offers hope and inspiration in those 40 days because they needed it. His disciples were so sad. They were so scared and they were so afraid because everything they knew was riding on Jesus, everything that they knew, their culture, their world, their future, all of it relied on Jesus. The apostles, after receiving this hope and receiving this inspiration from Jesus in his work after the cross, they go on from there to live the life of missionaries. Apostles spreading the gospel, the good news, and eventually paying an ultimate price of martyrdom, each one of them all but one, being chased, chased down, being hunted, rebuked, cast aside, and eventually executed. Every one of them, I think that they weren't afraid after. They weren't afraid after. Have you guys, I want to ask this question here. Do you think that you yourselves have been touched by Jesus the way that these men have? What have you risked? 
the question that I want us each to ask ourselves is this. How would our lives be affected now if we found out that Jesus and his resurrection was a hoax? How would your life be affected now? How would it affect you, 2019? How would it affect you now if you found out that it was a fake, that it was made up, that it was fabricated, that this was false news? How would it affect you now? How would your life be different if Jesus didn't come back? Would it change much? Would it change much? Are you more like a player? Like a final four college-aged kid who's got everything riding on the next victory? Are you like that, riding on Jesus' victory? Or are you just watching the game on TV? Wrapped up in it, but if you found out that it was over, you just change the channel and watch something else. If you take me, for example, I'll, I'll use myself as an example. Boy, would my face be red. <laughs> my face would be a, a little red if I found out that it was all fake. Because, and I'm certainly no poster boy for a Christian. I, I promise you that. I'm no poster boy. Don't compare yourself to me. But I've got everything riding on this. My education, my career, my worldview, my money, my family finances, the way that I speak and interact with others, the people who know me, who know that I am a Christian, they'd laugh at me. Just about every part of my life hinges on Jesus being victorious on that cross. How about you? How much would you have to run and hide in a locked room? Would people ridicule you? Or maybe you watch the game. Maybe you're not exactly on the court. And maybe people around you, maybe they don't even know that you're a Christian. Or how about your time? Would you now get a couple of weekends a month back? Would you get that back at least? How about your finances? Would you now get 10% of your household income back? Would you get that back? Or would you just get back the few spare dollars that actually you weren't missing too much because it wasn't that big a risk? In Matthew chapter 16, 24, Jesus says this scary statement to his disciples. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. I think it's interesting he says that to his disciples prior to the cross, and then he shows them its full and true meaning after, that he literally meant, I'm going to go to the cross, and I'm going to kick its butt, and I'm going to win. And he calls the same of us each, not to watch this on TV, not to flip the channel when it gets boring, but to put feet on the court, to take this game up in your hands and do something with it. I guess really I'm just asking, how much into Jesus are you? Are you comfortably watching or are you in just as much need of the hope and inspiration that the resurrected Christ offers? Now, these are some pretty serious questions. I'll admit, I'd be afraid to turn them on myself. I get it. But either in a time, hopefully, in personal reflection, a time of devotion, 
I hope you'd ask yourselves, ask these questions of yourselves. And if you'd like, I'd love to sit down and talk about that with you. Help you sort through that. Because these are some really pointed, hard questions. So if you'd ever like to get together, I'm, I'm ready. I'll buy you a cup of coffee if you want to talk about those tough questions. But I hope that we each leave here understanding that value, that, that fuel, that hope and inspiration serve us, served us by Jesus and how it can propel us to great heights of service and sacrifice, sharing the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful that you didn't just quit after the cross was done, <laughs> that, that it wasn't over after you'd resurrected. In your infinite wisdom, in your infinite grace, in your love and understanding, you knew that they still needed help, that you needed to spell it out for those early disciples. God, I know that we each here are no different than them. We're no different. And that we each still need, are in desperate need of that same hope and that same inspiration. Uh, Father, I pray that the news of your resurrection, the news of you defeating death, would never become something that we are used to, something that becomes old hat, something that we just know and accept and leaves no transforming effect on us. I pray against that sin. Instead, God, I pray that when we think of your resurrection, when we think of your victory, that we would be filled with hope, that we would be filled with inspiration to propel us and to push us into sharing the gospel, into blessing you in scary ways, in, in, in ways that we are unsecure about, ways that we are afraid to do. God, you stepped out for us. I can only pray that we each would take up your example, take up the cross that you bore for us, and in hope and in inspiration, serve you the way, God, that you ask us. I pray these things in your heavenly Son's name. Amen.